Hi, I'm Naomi Simpson. I'm really pleased to be bringing you Season 2 of Handpick, the podcast, where business owners ask me the questions. We've got a fabulous variety of great business owners with really tough questions that'll give you incredible insights. And remember, go back and check out Season 1 if you missed any of those episodes. Well, welcome, Grant, to Handpicked, and thanks for coming on the show. Now, you've got a fabulous business. Uh, maybe tell me a little bit about it to get started. Oh, thanks a lot, Naomi. Um, I'm from a family business, a 50-year-old family business here in Brisbane it's called Adina Watches. Uh, my dad started it in 71. We're manufacturers of high-quality wristwatches and distributing across Australia in online and the retail space and now starting to activate quite sort of strongly into the corporate space. Amazing. And you've worked with your dad for 26 years. Then You must be seeing a lot of change going on. So it, it, your business is primarily in Australia, not offshore. But how many watches do you produce a year? Give us some context of the size of, of what you do. Okay. We're, we're over our 350 retailers, we're putting out between 30 and 40,000 watches annually out of our headquarters here in Brisbane. Each one of those is, is, is built by hand which is uh, a struggle almost in itself because um, watchmaking is a bit of a dying art and that therein lies one of the questions that I wanted to pose this morning is at what point do does automation and highly skilled technical people mix in the, in the same space without losing that real people touch which we've been really well known for. Um, we're scaling but to keep um, highly skilled watchmakers, the apprenticeship system here in Australia um, is very, very different from the one in Europe. Um, and so we have to keep producing our own watchmakers, but that's a, that's difficult at, at best. You know, we have highly skilled people, but there are machines around that can do a job. But when do you introduce those and at what cost? Yeah. So if we step it back a bit and we think about customers and what do they value, like 30,000 customers a year or 40,000 is a lot of customers and knowing why they buy from you will help you determine your overall strategy. If you think about what is your purpose, what purpose, why do you do what you do? Why don't you just, you know, cookie cut and do things? And it's because it is a boutique that people probably value it. It's an artisan product. It's a crafted product. So therefore, and ironically, the Swiss have probably one of the best apprenticeship um, internship kind of structures in the world in terms of producing um, artisans and how they work together. So, so uh, you know, so the investment in any pipeline when it comes to skilled tenant, and it doesn't have to be yours, which is a boutique product, but it might be data scientists, it might be uh, technical resources, anybody with technical skills, even when they're coming out of college and university, they have the functional, but they don't necessarily have the practical. So first of all, understand what it is that your customers value, what are they prepared to pay for? And is that a long-term investment that you as an enterprise are going to continue to make? The next thing is, is making it attractive to people who want to come into this field. What sort of people, where do they hang out? Are they in engineering schools? Are they at high school? What are the sorts of people that would find great satisfaction in being a craftsperson and um, being an artisan in this particular area? Um, and I would argue that 
profiling your business. Maybe that's why you're here on the handpicked podcast, but making sure that people know what you do. Like I'm pretty sure that many of our listeners would have had no idea that there was an Australian manufacturer of watches, 40,000 a year, gold watches are coming back into corporates and that therefore people just knowing the story will help attract people to the industry because they'll say wow that's incredible and I would love to be able to do that an incredible skill so profiling PR uh, working with people I know I'm, I know you've got a program as you bring people in anyway but also telling those success stories of somebody coming in a young person an older person reskilling and then telling those stories will really help you continue to attract talent and also build the story for customers they might not even know why they're buying from you it's got a really nice story actually in the, in the background right now is um one of our young well he's the same age as me so i'd love to say a young fella but <laughs> one, one of the one of the boys has just joined us he did his apprenticeship with us back in the 80s he's gone off and had his own business for the last sort of 15 to 20 years and um just through pure luck really i was chatting to him about this and that i said oh we've got a role here and he's rejoined us. So he's uh, he's had 20 years away from the business, now come back into the business with a wealth of skill and is bringing that to our young people that we've gone on the bench. So we're actually quite lucky to have sort of Paul back with us. But, yeah, as the, the Swiss are definitely the benchmark in uh, Swiss watchmaking and we're talking actually with the Swiss watchmaking school to try and um, encourage the Swiss watchmaking school to set up here in Australia. The, the customers is really at the heart of everything we do and, that sort of leads into another question that I've got with the, the nature of retailing changing and the space where people are shopping a little bit more from home, but they still like to go to the shops for an experience. You know, we have 350 stores nationally that are selling our watches, but we also have a, a growing uh, online presence and online channel. We have a vision to bring a flagship store here to our headquarters. And my question is, at what point do you start muddying the water of who you are and what you are and how to re, um, how your consumers, whether they're business customers or or wholesale customers or retail customers, see you as a business? Yeah, customers are really fluid in the sense that they might buy from you as a corporate customer one day and then be a direct customer. So it is all about brand. It is all about what you stand for and allowing people to interact with you in the way that suits them. And um, and understanding the cost to acquire customers through all of those channels. You're absolutely right. There's actually been a resurgence in the local store and smaller uh, places because people are feeling very comfortable and they're wanting to support local businesses. So telling that story about being a local business, being an Australian business, building the brand, and then also partnering with those retailers and making sure that you're doing some joint marketing so that it's not you doing it on your own. Um, getting those customer referrals or the customer feedback. And one of the things I know myself, having sold in corporate forever, like Red Balloon, Red Balloon Experience vouchers, you know, reward, reward and recognition space, oh, we were in the same business, um, was with making sure. And then I said, look, if this worked for you, who else do you know? And, you know, if you were selling, and I know you were, that, that you sell um, gold watches into schools and length of service, they all know each other. And then so customer get customer uh, is a very effective way. I think the hardest thing for businesses now to justify is really large sales forces. 
in the sense of because that salary alone, when margins are being squeezed at every level, and they always are, whether it's the cost of your raw material, whether it's the cost of your premises, whether it's the cost of your people. Um, but so having those people who are very, um, rather than necessarily cold calling is how you nurture and grow what you have to be bigger through reputation. So brand, reputation, and then making sure people know. PR, joint marketing, um, and, and and that really can escalate it. In saying all of that, is would that be the next step? You know, in a COVID environment, governments on every level, local government here in Brisbane is um, the Lord Mayor is very very powerful advocate of, of supporting local business and buying procuring for the Brisbane City Council through um, local businesses. The Queensland government is trying to do the same, and, and I would suggest the federals are trying to do that. In that sort of environment where there's more opportunity for an Australian manufacturer to shine, let's say, um, how is the right messaging technique to, to let government know that we exist? Like we have a quite a clong, strong clock department and uh, we do all the government clocks for, for Queensland, but I can't seem to crack the, crack the egg down in New South Wales or in Victoria. And it's, it's interesting. They've still got cool schools and hospitals just like we do here in Queensland. How do those conversations come about with government um, and, and to get those conversations rolling without all the associated red tape that goes with yeah, it? Yeah, sometimes people don't know that they've got a problem until uh, you let them know, but there is definitely, it doesn't matter which level of government, whether it's local government, state government or federal government, everyone is looking to buy Australian. It is your job to make sure that they that you know that they exist. And I think you have to start really broad and really um large and this is the first thing just coming on this podcast people will hear about your story you've got to get into the press and people go and, and challenge people and say why are you buying offshore when we can do this in australia you do not have to send your clocks uh anywhere offshore anywhere we can get them done here so making sure you've got that real value proposition and going as high as as you possibly can I always, um, when I'm dealing with government, I always keep an eye to the tender process, not necessarily that I'm going to respond to one because they can be very time consuming and I'm not in the quote and hope business. It just doesn't work for me. But it does make me understand who's who in the zoo and how, how that particular government is working. So having those tenders come through and you find out, oh, who's, who is the head of procurement? Who is the head of um, maintenance or wherever it might lie? Um, and then this, you're seeding them with articles. Um, LinkedIn is a very good tool in terms of just making sure you're seeding the right story at the right place at the right time um, to the right person, but you've got to know who that person is first. So uh, get yourself on a few lists then. I'm saying this is a PR story, really, Australian <laughs> manufacturing. Um, you know, like let's 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 tell the story and how important it is, and not just as an employer and keeping jobs in Australia, but keep, keeping cash in Australia is really important. And and I can imagine your turnaround time and what you produce is so much better, and it's better for the planet. So oh, we like we like to we like to think that we're doing the right thing wherever we can in that in that sort of space. Yeah, the, the procurement process can be sort of challenging and LinkedIn, I've, I've found, is, is a really powerful sort of tool to introduce yourself and, it, you know, in the, in the virtual world, it, you don't have those big conferences like we used to where you can have a beer with people afterwards and they say, oh, this is great, what's manufacturing from up in Brisbane? Oh, I don't know where you're going. So yeah. those sorts of things uh, sort of aren't available to us. Um, um, as much. But that sort of is a nice segue, I guess, into... 
my final question, the Olympics. My big hairy dream is to get our watches on the Australian athletes as they wander around the track in the, the newly renovated Gabba. Um, those conversations are, are always challenging to, to find, again, the right people to chat to. But what, for my, not only my business, every business here in the southeast, what do we need to be doing to make sure that, that we not only make the most of this incredible opportunity that could be afforded to us, but uh, also make it a, a really, really successful game for everybody involved? More importantly, is how, how do businesses make the most of any particular activity or event or high-profile thing that might come to town? And um, product placement, uh, the Olympics is notoriously difficult in terms of, you know, nobody's allowed to use those five rings, the IP, the licensing, very, very challenging. Um, but I would think about this more for in your business is about product placement. How do you make sure that every Australian actor, artist, entertainer is wearing your product and getting them talking about it? Because we Australians are notoriously, um, obviously, we're very proud and they don't know. So I think to amplify sports people, making sure that um, people who are great role models, uh, I don't particularly like the word influencer because um, it implies that they've only done it for the money, but really for people who believe in Australian product, who believe in Australian manufacturing and is, is, is let them know. And the way to do that, there is promotional agencies that do that or working directly with their agents and saying, hey, did you know, I know that they're proudly Australian. Could you get, um, you know, the Hemsworth brothers to wear these? Could you get Rachel Griffiths? You know, could you get Naomi Watts? Let's just line them all up. I think Rose Byrne would look fabulous in one of your watches. And they're deeply Australian. So that's what I would do is, is ask for advocacy from them, and then that will flow through. But with for all of the businesses, which you've asked in the whole of Southeast, Queensland um the thing is to stay attuned to what is the opportunity um and being available for why people are there I think one of the challenges that uh, uh, people have uh, often had is sometimes when tourists come whether they're on ships or not do they spend enough money we've got to make sure that we make it easy for people to spend money with them and that they know that we're available for business and we want to export uh, so whether that is going to be trade fairs, whether that is showing people what you can do well in advance and actually using it as a trade opportunity. Grant, love the questions. Very varied. One is about how do you get great people into your enterprise and you need to train? Another one is customers. What do they value? Where are they? What sort of channel mix should I have? We've talked a little bit about um, making sure that you're open to opportunities and also how do I approach government? So, you know, we've had a look at some of your growth strategies, but my big thing for you, Grant, is people need to know about you. And if this hand-picked uh, podcast does that and amplifies your business, I didn't know that there was an Australian manufacturer of watches who also fixed clocks from around Australia and that you have 40,000 customers every year. Congratulations on your 50-year-old family business and I will be a great advocate. Thank you so much, Naomi. It's been absolutely wonderful to be with you. So anybody listening, remember to refer, rate, 
review, make sure others know about this podcast because who knows what gems we will uncover in supporting Australian business.